Hey guys, I hope everyone's doing well and staying super safe out there. I cannot believe that Christmas is in less than two weeks. How crazy is that? I can't wait though. I'm so excited. Such an awesome time of year. Um, even if it has to be super low key this year, I don't care. Still super stoked. So um, the only update I have for this week is just a friendly reminder that if you enjoy this podcast and if you haven't already done so, if you could please give Crime Time Tea Time a five-star review on Apple Podcast, I would be so very, very appreciative. Um, okay, so before we jump into today's story, I want to give a big fat warning um, or put a warning out there. So this episode contains information that is of a graphic and disturbing nature against children. I know that all true crime stories are unsettling to some degree, but this episode deals directly with young children and I don't want anyone to feel caught off guard um, as I understand and totally appreciate the fact that some folks have a very low tolerance for crimes against children. Um, I'm the same way when it comes to crimes against animals. So anyways, just wanted to throw that out there. So the other thing I wanted to say is that I know this case was heavily, heavily covered by the media. Um, there was also a Netflix documentary um, that was recently made. That being said, though... If you have followed this case closely, you will already know a lot of the facts about the story. However, I want you to know that I read the entire <laughs> police report and there is a ton of information that they did not mention uh, in the media or on the Netflix documentary. So my point is that even if you are super familiar with this case... Um, I have a very good feeling that if you stick with me and stick with this episode, I'll be able to at least share a few things about this case that you were not aware of um, prior. So anyhow, okay, any who to the ha, you know what time it is. If you are ready for a mind-blowing ride, sit back and buckle up because this is the story of the Watts family murder. Shanann Watts was a beautiful 34-year-old mother and wife living in Frederick, Colorado, which is 27 miles north of Denver. In November of 2012, Shanann married Christopher Lee Watts, also known as Chris. And together, they had two sweet little girls, four-year-old Bella, who was born in 2013, and three-year-old Celeste, nicknamed Cece, who was born in 2015. This was actually Shanann's second marriage. She was married to her first husband, Leonard King, for just a few years, uh, but they had no children together. Leonard actually said that he had not spoken with Shanann in close to 10 years when the story came out. Um, so really not much to talk about with her first marriage, just so you know that it happened. Okay, so beside having the two little girls, Bella and Cece, Shanann and Chris had recently found out that Shanann was 15 weeks pregnant with a baby boy they planned on naming Nico Lee Watts. The couple appeared to be very, very happy and doing very well for themselves. Everyone knows that no family is perfect, 
But I'll be honest, from the outside looking in, the Watts family really did appear to have it all. Um, And being everything that people think a relationship should be or should look like. Chris was making decent money. He was making about $63,000 a year as an operator for a petroleum company called Anadarko Petroleum. Shanann was an independent consultant selling a product called Thrive. I had never heard of it before um, and was curious about it. So I Googled it and this is what the website says. Quote, the Thrive Experience is a premium daily lifestyle plan to help individuals experience and reach peak physical and mental levels. You're going to live, look, and feel like never before, end quote. They also sell capsules, shakes, and patches. And you take these, it uh, looks like a, like a combination of these on a daily basis, and apparently it helps you to feel good and live your best life. I have no idea if it works or not. I've never tried it for myself before, um, nor am I promoting it. I just wanted you as the listener to know what Shanann had been focusing on focusing on. Um, If you are currently listening to this and you take or sell Thrive, I apologize if I butchered the message you guys are trying to share. Um, Regardless, though, of what Chris and Shanann did for a living, by all accounts and purposes, they were the family that people strive to be like. So in late June 2018, Shanann took Bella and Cece to North Carolina for an extended five, or six week, excuse me, six week vacation to visit family while Chris stayed back and worked. The plan was that Chris would join his family in North Carolina for the last week of the trip and they would fly back home together. He would fly back with Shanann and the kids. This vacation proved to be the beginning of the end for the Watts family. Text messages between Shanann and Chris made it apparent that things between the two were not as perfect as they appeared to be on the outside. During the weeks that Shanann had been visiting family in North Carolina, the two fought a lot. Shanann had sent repeated text messages to Chris Asking things like, you know, what is wrong? Um, Why aren't you in love with me anymore? Why don't you love me any longer? Why don't we ever have sex? Um, Why hadn't he initiated, initiated any phone conversations with the girl since she had been in North Carolina? And a host of other questions um, related, you know, to that theme, more or less. So his response is, were very meek and sheepish, to be quite honest. He never really argued back with her or was nasty. He would always respond this in the same way, which was, I'm sorry, you're right, I'm wrong, I love you, I love the girls, blah, blah, blah. So, while Shanann and the girls were in North Carolina, enjoying their vacation, Chris was back home in Colorado, uh, doing a lot more than working. Enter into the picture Nicole Kessinger. Nicole Kessinger was a 30-year-old co-worker of Chris's. She graduated from Colorado State University in 2013 with a degree in geography. 
In 2018, Nicole joined Tasman Geosciences, which contracted with Anadarko Petroleum, which, if you remember, is who Chris worked for. Chris said that he met Nicole on June 1st, 2018. He later told detectives that he was he actually had a question about a gas meter, um, which is how the two of them started speaking with each other. So the two of them hit it off very quickly, and friendly work conversations soon moved into more flirtatious behavior. In a later interview with detectives, Chris states that he had recently lost a significant amount of weight, and because of that, his rings, like his wedding ring, yeah, not rings, his wedding ring, uh, was too big and needed to be resized. So he wasn't wearing it at the time. Now, I've seen a lot of people calling bull on this, saying that losing weight would not um, cause your ring to be too small. And listen, I am not standing up for Chris Watts in the slightest, but I can tell you um, from personal experience that that is true. If you lose enough weight, your fingers absolutely lose weight as well. Um, And I went through this personally. So there was times to this day, actually, I still don't wear my wedding band for that exact same reason. So anyhow, it doesn't really matter. But according to Nicole, Chris had told her that he and Shanann were separated and that things were ending between between them. She also claimed to know nothing about the fact that Shanann was pregnant. In an interview later with police, Chris said that Nicole did know that Shanann was pregnant and that he thought she was trying to, quote, save face by saying that she was not aware. Regardless, while Shanann, Bella, and Cece were in North Carolina enjoying time with family and friends, uh, and Shanann was sending multiple texts a day to friends and family trying to figure out how to save her marriage, Chris was getting a taste of what he perceived to be the good life. So, days after returning from North Carolina, Shanann had to leave again for a work trip. Shanann and her co-worker slash friend, Nicole Atkinson, flew out to Arizona for a Thrive conference. Now, please make note, this is important, that there are two Nicoles now in this story which will confuse things a bit. So Shanann's best friend is Nicole Atkinson, and Chris's girlfriend is Nicole Kessinger. Just to keep things super straightforward, um, I will state their first and last name when I'm referring to them, so you know exactly who I'm talking about. Okay, so while Shanann was away at this conference, Chris stayed home with the girls. Now, let's be honest. I'm sure after having the kids by herself for five weeks in North Carolina, um, Shanann was probably totally, like, ready for this little kid-free break for a few days um, to be with her girlfriends and her coworkers. So, the conference went very well. Um, but Shanann's friend, Nicole Atkinson, said that she, she being Shanann, was super focused on the fact that her marriage was falling apart. And she was really focused on that the entire trip. God bless her, you know. Um, the game changer was one night when Chris told Shanann 
that he was going to get a babysitter for the girls because he wanted to go to a sporting event with some co-workers. So Shanann agreed to let him go, but had her spidey sense turned on full power. She looked at their joint checking account and noticed that Chris had spent $65 on dinner. The amount of money that he spent did not match up to what he said he had ordered. Um, I guess she wasn't playing around either. And she even downloaded a copy of the menu um, so that she could compare what the, you know what I mean? Like the prices of what he ordered versus what um, he said or what he actually spent. Sorry if that didn't make sense for a second there. Um, anyways, Shanann felt that she had proof, enough proof of what she needed to confront Chris on his cheating. And Chris knew that there was nothing more he could do to dodge the accusations. Um, the gig was up, more or less. And he had been caught and couldn't weasel his way out of this one. On August 13, 2018, at 1.48 a.m., Shanann Watts returns home from Arizona. The home security system picked up the feed of her friend, Nicole Atkinson, dropping her off. Shanann entering the house with her little suitcase and Nicole pulling off to go home. Even though it was really late when Atkinson dropped Shanann off, she was excited to speak with her later that morning because Shanann had an OBGYN appointment. Shanann had been suffering from terrible morning sickness um, and Nicole, being the good friend that she was, wanted to hear what the doctor had to say about it. You know, make sure she was doing okay. So, you can imagine Nicole Atkinson's concern when she did not hear back from Shanann after multiple texts and calls later that morning. Finally, when Atkinson's worry was so high that she couldn't stand it anymore, she actually drove over to Shanann's house and tried to enter the home. She entered the code on the keypad to get in the front door, but the safety latch was on from the inside, so the door wouldn't open more than three inches. And do you know what I'm talking about when I say the safety latch? So it's that little chain thing that they have like in hotel rooms. Okay, so after not being able to enter the home, Nicole Atkinson did three things. One, she called Chris, who was at work. Two, she called the police to see if they would come to a wellness check. And three, she called Shanann's mom to alert her as to what was going on. Okay, so here's another important piece of information. And actually, the documentary on Netflix did not reveal this. Nicole Atkinson told police that she had been repeatedly calling Chris and that Chris was acting super sketchy. He either wouldn't answer the phone or when he did, he would go kind of back and forth with her about what time he left work, and what time he would be home. The Netflix documentary leads you to believe, at least I should say I felt I was led to believe, that Nicole Atkinson had called Chris once and that he came right home. That is not true. The police actually arrived to the property before Chris, but wanted to wait on Chris to get home. They wanted his permission before entering the property. So the officer called Chris himself, um, and finally Chris told the officer he would be home in five minutes. Um, Chris does arrive then shortly after, and he did give police permission to enter the home. Another bombshell that I learned from the police report is that Shanann's mother 
had repeatedly said on the phone that Chris had something to do with this. Um, and that the police needed to check the GPS on Chris's truck. During the documentary, the neighbor makes a few comments that Chris had been acting strange. And a lot of people were giving him like a ton of credit saying, hey, wow, the neighbors called, you know, the neighbor called this from the beginning. Um, and maybe he did. I'm not taking anything away from him. But I just want it to be known that Nicole Atkinson and Shanann's mom were all over this as well. Okay. Anyways, so the officer enters the house, um, but they find no trace of Shanann or the girls. During the police search, they find Shanann's purse, phone that had been powered down, her car keys, her wedding ring, and her medication. Can I tell you what I find so, 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 so bizarre? Chris Watts. The husband of Shanann Watts did not know the password to his wife's cell phone to unlock it. Is that not so weird to you guys? I don't know why that trips me out, but it does. Nicole Atkinson, Shanann's best friend and co-worker, of course, um, did know it. So she was the one to give it to the police officer. Um, is that not the weirdest thing you've ever heard? I don't know why that's so strange to me. I don't know. But when I think about it, it's, I don't know, whatever. Anyways, uh, and also, I don't know what difference this makes at all. Um, but the password was the expected due date of little baby Nico. Okay. So Chris gives police permission to search her phone. Unfortunately, the phone was in no use to help locate Shanann or the girls. Um, the phone had made no outgoing calls that day. Her car and the girls' car seats were still at the house. So the house was neat and tidy, and there did not appear to be any type of struggle. Um, it is worth mentioning <clears throat> that the officer makes a note that Chris only asked one time if he should, not if he could, if he should go look for his family. Only once. Not to mention, would you even ask? I feel like I would be running around like a chicken with my freaking head cut off trying to find my family. Police also interviewed one of the neighbors. So this is that guy I was talking about earlier. His name is Nathaniel. So Nathaniel is important to this investigation for a few reasons, but one of them is because he owned an important piece of evidence, which was a security camera. The police went to Nathaniel's house at 9.15 on August 14th. He was asked to show the police security footage from August 13th at 1.45 a.m., 5.30 a.m., and 12.47 p.m., Nathaniel was able to provide the footage that the police were seeking, but unfortunately, the quality was not fantastic. So it did show Chris's truck leaving for work, but you can't see anything more than Chris's truck backing into the driveway and then leaving. Um, and Chris had told police that he was loading some tools into his truck from the garage that morning, which is why he had backed in and then he, you know, pulled off and drove off to work. So 
The police report also stated something very interesting that the documentary does not mention, which is that at 4.38 a.m., the morning after the girls are reported missing, Shanann's mother, Sandra is her name, by the way, called the police department to say that she believed the disappearance involved foul play and that she heavily believed that her son-in-law was involved. They questioned her further to get her opinion about what happened. Um, And she said that up until the trip to North Carolina, she thought things between the two were perfect. They were great. She said that she couldn't have handpicked a better spouse for her daughter or father for her grandchildren. Like, that's a pretty powerful statement. She said things took a turn for the worse five weeks ago when Shanann and the girls came to North Carolina for that that vacation. Now, remember, Shanann and Chris were separated for five weeks when she was in North Carolina. And he was in Colorado working. Like, OMG, I would miss my family so much if I did not see them for five weeks. Chris flew down to North Carolina the very last week of the trip. Um, and that was his, you know, summer week-long vacation. You would think after being apart from your spouse and your child for five weeks, um, you would be just completely all over them. So Shanann's mom said Shanann was fighting really, really bad morning sickness and spent one of those days that Chris was down there just like throwing up and just super duper sick. You know, if you've been pregnant and you lived through the blessing of morning sickness, you know exactly how she felt. It's terrible. So wouldn't you think that Chris would be overly attentive to her, you know, after not seeing her for five weeks? I don't know. But whatever. Apparently not, though. I guess her mom said that he pretty much ignored her and said said she was being, you know, overdramatic about it. <clears throat> so, so bizarre. Of course, when the media caught wind of Shanann and the girl's disappearance, the news spread like wildfire. Um, they were all over this, of course. And after all, you know what I mean? A woman and her two small children were missing. The day after Shanann and the kids are reported missing, one of the major news stations in Colorado comes over to the house to interview Chris. So besides the media interviews, Chris is also brought in for official police interviews. Of course, you know what I mean? As expected, Chris claims over and over and over and over that he has no idea where Shanann or the girls are. He says the last time he saw them was at 5.15 a.m. that morning when he left for work. He said that at 5.27, he backed his truck up to the garage, loaded some tools, and left. The police asked if they had been fighting that morning, and his response was very odd. He said they discussed separating, but that they did not fight but he did say the conversation was emotional. What, a, what an odd term to use. You know what I mean? I don't know. Weird word, word to pick. Out of all the words you could have picked, that was kind of an odd one. But anyhow, he was 100% adamant 
um, that he had no clue what happened to his wife and girls. He claims that Shanann told him that she was going to a friend's house, but says he didn't ask which friend she was going to. Again, what? Oftentimes, I try to put myself in other people's shoes. Um, but again, this just doesn't make sense to me. If my husband said he was taking our children to a, quote, friend's house, I would absolutely say, which friend are you, like, which friend's house are you going to? Anyway, at this point, the police ask Chris if he's willing to take a polygraph, and he agrees. The woman administering the polygraph asks Chris if he physically caused Shanann to disappear. If he was lying about the last time he saw Shanann, if he knew where Shanann was, and other questions of this nature. They completed the test and left. Moments later, they returned to the room to notify Chris that not only did he fail the polygraph, but he freaking bombed the polygraph. Now, I don't know exactly what this means, but I guess anyone who scores under a negative four on the polygraph is considered deceptive, and Chris's score was a negative 18. 15, 2018, two days after the disappearance, detectives sit Chris down and tell him they are 100% sure he is hiding something. At this point, Chris asked to speak with his father, which the police agree to. His father was actually already at the police department waiting to see Chris, so it was very easy to accommodate. Chris's father comes into the room, sits down, and ever so gently asks Chris what is going on. Chris then drops an absolute bombshell. After pretending to cry and be sad for a few minutes, Chris admits to his father that he killed Shanann. When asked why, Chris says that the morning Shanann returned from Arizona, he told her that he wanted to separate. He then says that Shanann freaked out and out of retaliation killed Bella and Cece. He claims that he saw it all go down on the baby monitor. He says that when he saw Bella dead laying on the bed, that he, like, lost his mind and strangled Shanann. So, I've watched the footage between Chris and his dad a gazillion times, and I don't really know what to make of it. I'm not sure if his father was just in shock or what but he didn't really have much to say. And I'm sure he was just trying to take it all in um, and stay strong for his POS son at the same time. Uh, I would play the footage for you guys so you can hear it, but it's really, really hard to understand. Chris does a lot of whispering in this kind of like mumbling. I, I don't even know what you call it. You'll have to Google or YouTube it. He was probably so embarrassed and ashamed of what he had done um, that he couldn't even look his dad in the eye. But regardless, soon after this admission, the detectives come back in and say to Chris in so many words, thanks for admitting to killing Shanann, but we don't believe that she killed her children. The detectives even said, Chris, are you sure this is what you want us to report out to the media? That Shanann is the one that killed the kids? And he very sheepishly mumbled back, yes, like that that's what he wants the police to, to tell the media. 
they didn't believe for a freaking second that she was the one that did this to her children. Um, but that is what he was admitting to, so that's what they were going to report. So after intense pressure from the police, the media, and his family members and Shanann's family members, Chris begins to crack and eventually tells the truth of what happened that morning, which was this. Chris says that the morning Shanann returned from Arizona, they got into a heated argument and that he told her that he wanted to separate. So that part was true. He says Shanann became outraged and told him that he would never see the children again. He claims that out of anger, he says he climbed on top of her, like straddling her as she was laying in bed and strangled her. I will throw this out here or out there just so you guys know that Shanann did not have any self-defense wounds on her body, nor did Chris have any marks or bruises on his body. Um, so that being said, Chris claims that she did not fight back while he was strangling her. Shanann's family feels very differently about this, though. They feel that there's no way on God's green earth that Shanann would not have fought for her life. They believe that Chris attacked her while she was sleeping, which is why there were no self-defense wounds uh, on her body. Personally, Lee's you know, little thought is I tend to believe with her family. Um, it just doesn't seem like human nature to not survive. You know what I mean? Like, isn't that just human nature to self, uh, what's the word? Oh my gosh, you guys self preserve. Is that right? And fight for your life. Like that would be like drowning in water and not struggling for air and not trying to reach the surface. I think it's just normal and natural. So anyways, um, I know this is kind of disgusting to say, but he says he told the detectives that he knew she was dead because she had relieved herself. Um, so anyways, once Shanann was gone, he says he started dragging her body down the stairs. In the meantime, all this noise wakes up four-year-old Bella who sees her daddy dragging her mommy down the stairs. Chris claims that she said, what is wrong with mommy? What's wrong with mommy? Um, to which he responded that mommy is sick. No, Chris, you're the one that's sick, not Shanann. But anyways, um, he then puts her body. Sorry, let me back up. He had wrapped Shanann's body in a bed sheet. Um, so he then takes her body, which is in, in wrapped in a bed sheet and puts it on the floorboard of the back seat of his truck. He then goes back inside, picks up his precious little babies, remembers to grab their favorite blankets, mind you, carries them downstairs and puts them in the back seat of his pickup truck as well. So just in case you forgot, let me please remind you that Shanann was on the floorboard of the back seat. Okay. So just making sure everybody is following what I'm saying, which is that this monster put his precious little girls in the same back seat that their dead mommy was laying just inches from their feet. No one is going to believe this next part. 
I literally read this like 19 times to make sure I was understanding correctly. This psycho, Chris, then goes back into the house and makes his freaking lunch so that he could bring it to work with him afterwards. I guess it was part of his self-defense or or sorry, so, so part of his defense to be able to say it was just, you know, like another normal day at the office. So, oh my God, it made me so mad. But he says he then drove to an oil site of his employer, which is between 45 minutes and an hour long drive from the house. He said that in the police interview, the girls fell asleep on the way there, holding on to each other the entire time. The innocence of these two little girls falling asleep in the car during this entire ordeal. Um, I think what blows my mind the most about this entire story, minus the lunch situation, that just makes me so mad. Um, but beside the lunch story or situation, um, it makes me just cringe that he had 45 minutes to an hour to cool down and start coming to his senses, you know? That is a long time to think, hmm, maybe I shouldn't kill my two little babies. But it didn't matter. Despite this cool-down period, he still felt the need to end his daughter's lives. He said that once he got to the oil site, he left the little girls in the truck, took Shanann out of the back seat, and buried her in the unborn baby first. He then came back for his daughters. He smothered little Cece first with her favorite blankie. He then came for Bella. I'm not 100% sure where Bella was during Cece's attack, but she did witness it. Chris said that Bella asked him, is the same thing going to happen to me that happened to Cece? Chris claims he cannot remember if or how he responded when she asked that question. Once the girls were gone, he dumped them into separate 8-inch oil tanks. Or sorry, the openings were 8 were eight inches. The oil tanks themselves were huge. Um, he dumped them into separate oil tanks and went to freaking work like nothing had happened. In November 2018, Chris Watts, pled guilty to all charges. His guilty plea was not because he felt remorse from what he had done. No, it was in exchange for taking the death penalty off the table. He was convicted of murder, unlawful termination of a pregnancy, and tampering with the deceased human body. He was sentenced to life in prison. Chris is currently at the Dodge Correctional Institution, which is a maximum security prison in Wisconsin. So, here is the part of the story that I really struggled with how to handle. Everything you have heard so far, for the most part, is what we learned through the investigation and the trial. That is not where the story ended, though. Through interviews with the police from prison, and male correspondence with a woman named Sherilyn Cadle or Cattle, I'm not sure, Cadle, we begin to learn a lot more about the details of that day. I really, really debated between including these details as I told the story or waiting until the end. 
I decided to wait until the end so you could follow the story the way the details unfolded, which is how America, or the world for that matter, followed the story. That being said, the following information was not brought forth until after Chris's conviction. Okay. So first we need to talk about this woman named Sherilyn Cadle. When I first heard about her, I read that she was a true crime author. And I thought to myself, wow, this woman must be hella accomplished. After all, she is the one person that Chris Watts chose to correspond with behind bars. But then, oh boy. (gasps) But then I read the letter that she wrote to Chris. And after reading that, I'm honestly more confused than ever. So this is the original introduction letter that this woman wrote to Chris. The letter is dated August 22nd, 2018. It says this, Dear Chris, Hey, this is Candace, LOL. Well, I'm going to write to you a letter every day until you write me back, and I'm 100% serious. Everyone keeps keeps asking me why I'm writing to you, or why do I care, or why am I watching all of your interviews slash court hearings. They're saying that you're a monster, and that you're a POS, and that you're a psychopath. And then she put in parentheses, LMAO, yes, I know I spelled that wrong. And for anyone that doesn't know, LMAO means laughing my ass off. So she put the the acronym, LMAO. Yes, I know I spelled that wrong. But I've been telling them that they're wrong and what and that I do not feel the same way they do. Well, for what it's worth, I hope that you're okay. I just want to be your friend and talk to you every now and then. Would you put me on your visitation list if that's even possible, LOL? When I first seen your first interview, I was like, OMG, I have to get to know this guy, cuz, spelled C-U-Z, cuz in my heart, and it's, it's an actual picture of a heart, not spelled out. So she's, so let me reread that. Sorry. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to help you guys imagine it, but I'm probably just causing more confusion. So she says, I'm rereading the last sentence. When I first seen your very first interview, I was like, OMG, I have to get to know this guy because in my heart, I believe everything you said to everyone, you're probably, probably, not probably, probably thinking, OMFG, who is this girl and why is she so weird? Ha 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 ha. That's okay because honestly... Whoever does what I'm doing, right? Well, I do. And I def do not make it a habit. Like I definitely, short for definitely, I def do not make it a habit. Anyways, guys, the letter goes on and on. You can look it up for yourself um, online. But I just wanted you to understand who we are talking about here. Not some highly skilled journalist who I was thinking at first we were dealing with. She sounds like a 12-year-old middle schooler with a crush. Um, And she's not. She's not a middle schooler. She's not even in her 20s. She's not in her 30s. She's not in her 40s. This woman's like 50 years old. Um, 
So anyways, this is what we learned from Chris's communication with Sherilyn. So he really, really does open up to her and um, tells her a lot of information that we did not know prior. So I'm giving her a hard time, I guess, um, based on this letter, but she did, she was able to bring forth a lot of additional information. So here are some of the things that he, Chris, opened up to her about. Number one, he says that this was premeditated. He admits that he had been planning the attack on Shanann for weeks. He had previously stated during the trial that it was a spur of the moment and he did not know that he was going to do it until he did it. Uh, he does come clean, though, and says that he knew he was going to kill Shanann for weeks before actually committing the murder. And he said he knew he was going to kill the girls for days before he actually committed their murders. So number two, he shared extremely disturbing information um, that he had actually attempted to kill the girls first. He had smothered the girls with a pillow um, after a fight with Shanann, but they both regained consciousness. So he said that they, he said that um, while he was killing Shanann, the girls got out of bed, quote, bruised and traumatized, end quote. He also admitted that he felt mad when he learned that the girls were still alive. That honestly chokes me up a little bit. That's tough. Number three. He said it was true that the girls, quote unquote, caught him wrapping Shanann's body in a sheet. They asked what was wrong with her and he did tell them that she was sick piece of crap Chris Watts then dragged her body down the stairs in front of them. Number four, he told her that Bella was the only one of the three to put up a fight, which is an absolutely disgusting term. I don't know, to even use when you're talking about, you know, ending the lives of your wife and two kids. Um, but that she was the only one to put up a fight and that she had screamed, Daddy, no, to him before he had killed her. Um, he claims, which I hope is true, he claims that he still sees and hears her saying that every time he closes his eyes. Number five, Chris said that he was sure both girls were deceased before he dropped them into the oil tank. Uh, but we later learn that was not true. Both little girls had crude oil found in their throat, stomach, and lungs. So they were, they were not deceased when he threw them down there. Number six, the night before when he tucked the girls into bed that night, he said, he told her that he had thought to himself, this will be the last time I tuck my girls into bed. So we talked about it a little bit, but where is Chris now? So for now, Chris is living his worthless existence at the Dodge Correctional Institution in Wisconsin. He said he had been in a Colorado prison, 
Uh, but the other prisoners threatened to kill him so often that he had to be kept in constant isolation. Oh, now that's so sad. I hate hearing that, huh? How about you? He said things have been better for him in the Wisconsin prison because the other prisoners don't threaten to kill him as often. Chris said he does still speak with his mom, dad, and sister, but that is about it. He has not spoken with Nicole, the mistress, Nicole, um, and he asked the detectives to reach out to her on his behalf to say, quote, sorry. He also said, quote, I feel bad for her because she had told me this was her dream job and now she doesn't have it anymore. Like, WTF, Chris. That's what you're sorry for? You know what I mean? Like, you're sorry that your mistress lost her effing job? That's what's so sad and frustrating for you? Like, oh my gosh, you guys, it just makes me so mad. <sighs> All right, guys. Well, that wraps up another episode. episode. Blah. <laughs> I know parts of this one were difficult to hear, so I appreciate you, you know, sticking with it. Um, I hope you guys stay safe out there. And please remember your ABCs. Be aware of your surroundings. Be brave if you're uncomfortable and be careful. Take care, guys.